Welcome back, Crosspoint family. We are so grateful that you guys are here joining us for our last episode of our Read Along series. It has been such a joy to engage with this content. I'm really grateful for Vaughn Roberts' perspective in the book, Transgender, A Talking Points book. Um, so Ben is joining me here today. What's up, Ruth? His cold is also joining him. It and is so if here. you hear him being sniffly, that's that's just what it is in this midsummer cold. Um, and we have two cups of tea and hearts that are so excited to engage in uh, God's story. Because really today we're going to be talking about our gospel response in God's narrative. And then what do we do? What does wisdom look like for believers? So I'm going to toss it to Ben and just say, Ben, what are some reflections from chapter five and the new narrative that we get to tell people about? Yes. The chapter five, I was just really blessed by reading. Um, Obviously chapter three and four talked about creation and fall. um, Really the beginning, the genesis of man and woman. And yeah. both we were created, but we were fallen. And those are necessary viewpoints that we have to have. Um, but chapter five really brings the whole gospel into it. Like yeah. the, the gospel perspective of, okay, where does that leave us now? Where does creation fall? But we also know that it's more than just creation and fall. Mm-hmm. And as the chapter begins, it's rescue. Jesus, God went on a rescue There's mission hope. for us. Yeah. And Christ saved us. Um, and then we believe that we have been saved, but then we also believe that we will be saved. Mm-hmm. And so with that, we have been saved and we've been set free from the bondage of sin and the devil. But as our Christian hope is that we will rise from the grave one day, mm-hmm. even as we talked about um, in previous podcasts, that we will be bodily raised from the, the dead in our very bodies Amen. that we have now. I mean, that is what we look for. That is what we long for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so Christians then now live in the tension of the, the now and not yet. We live in the tension of we have experienced this new life, but we are yet to experience this new life. We've experienced just a glimpse of the new life and the, the faith and the joy and the salvation in Christ, but we have yet to experience the full of what we will experience for all eternity. And so he pulls the trans, transgender issue into, okay, that's an issue that now we live in mm. and that within the now and the not yet. Yeah. And it's really helpful to recognize that a person struggling with anything, but also transgenderism. Um, and gender dysphoria, they're called to the same thing, which is this hope that Christ is enough. Yeah. And this belief that God isn't always going to change all of my temporary pain right now. And oftentimes he doesn't. Anyone who has experienced any form of addiction or long-term temptation knows that we wait uh, for that renewed glory of heaven Mm. when my broken body no longer wants and longs for the things that it wants for here on earth. Um, and I think it's just interesting that it is an invitation to trust Jesus. Every time we experience something counterintuitive to God's will, it's an invitation to say, Jesus, I believe that you're enough. Jesus, I believe that you are ultimate. And what I feel right now does not need to determine my destiny or even my decisions. Yeah, amen. And so I think that's really helpful in this discussion of, man, the rescuer is Jesus. Yeah, that he has come and there is nothing and no sin that he cannot rescue us from. And the gospel is the answer to all things. Um, what do you think some of the pushback people have of the gospel being the answer to this specific issue? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think... I did not tell him this one ahead of time, so that's on <laughs> me, guys. No, I think that a huge pushback would be um, the gospel is the answer, but it doesn't necessarily solve my immediate problem. Mm. You know what I mean? As it's in, true for a lot of things sometimes. Yeah, it, it's true for tons of things. Um, because the person struggling with gender dysphoria, when we tell them that the gospel is the answer, 
the gospel is not telling them to get gender transition surgery, and the gospel is not telling them that they will be instantly, their desire to be the opposite sex will completely disappear. Mm -hmm. The gospel is saying that, no, you have a eternal plan and -hmm. God has eternal joy waiting for you and temporary joy now. Um, I love how like the Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm pretty sure it's them, but their their prayer ends with that we would be, um, receive like an eternal joy Mm -hmm. and that would be, we'll have eternal satisfaction in God and we'll be at least temporarily satisfied here. Yeah, yeah. And just like in the ways that we can be. Yeah. Um, but that is the gospel answer, but that doesn't necessarily meet their immediate desire, their immediate longing. Yeah. And so people will push back, will be like, well, it doesn't solve the problem I have in the way that they want it to be solved. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I would think would be the big pushback. What about you? Is there something that you had in mind? No, I think, I think you're speaking to it. And I think it's this reaction of like, well, like God made me this way. And so therefore he's not asking me to submit. That's also true. To yeah, get that. my bodily, to my bodily um, gender. Yeah. And so just this recognition of the gospel in its in full entirety of believing that we're created with intent and saying that I'm going to submit to God's intent, even though I may feel yeah. counterintuitive to that intent. Of it, it feels different than a sexual desire because we can live without a sexual desire, meaning like we can abstain fully from any sexual activity within our lives despite being sexual beings. But in this, it's saying like, no, we're talking about something so core to me. How could God make something so core to me so distorted? Yeah. Um, And the invitation there is like, everything about you is distorted. Yeah. But it's it's not this like, you're making, you're making this one thing say it's distorted. And the invitation is that actually all human beings are distorted. Everything about us has been stained yeah. and touched by sin. And that we can't even imagine what we probably would be like perfect in heaven. Yeah. Like my brain can't even get there of like, I can't imagine having a thought that's not like tainted by sin. Yeah. Like we have these certain moments where like God intervenes and we get to act in a fully selfless way. But in that, like it's moments of miracle. Hmm. It's not moments of us yeah. being awesome. Um, and like that's where I think this invitation is to say, have a longer view. Yeah. Of humanity saying that actually every single person is stained by sin, that he came to rescue all people yeah, and, and all creation. Yeah. And I think that this eternal perspective, this longer view you talk about, um, it's like the contrary, it's like complete opposite in the culture that we live in. And so we had to like go back to like previous podcasts and earlier chapters in this book where we like live and breathe in a culture of instant satisfaction, a mm-hmm. culture of instant gratification. And I mean, just like, we breathe this air. Yeah. In terms of like, think about like the last time that you were like at a house, someone's house or you're at a, on a bus or whatever you're at, you're in a public place um, and you felt uncomfortable. Like your instant reaction to your uncomfortability was to probably pull out your smartphone and like scroll and look at some random thing. Like we get bored, we just pull out a phone. Like yeah. people don't even get bored anymore. It's our pacifier. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we live in, and like all of that is like instant satisfaction after instant satisfaction um, which really, it, it trains us and actually, we have to recognize it disciples us. Yeah. It's discipling us to live for the here and for the now and for the next like dose. Um, when the Christ is calling us to something far greater and far better, but it's far larger. And we need to have like that eternal perspective to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this recognition that Christians are to be countercultural. Yeah. And we've always been called to be that. But in this specific moment in society, it's to say that like Jesus talked about like living lives of prayer, 
where like we went away, like we see in Jesus's ministry that he would go and have these large stretch of doing ministry and then he'd leave and pray through the night. Yeah. Does that make sense of like, he lived a life of like super high highs of like, man, he just fed 5,000 people and then he just disappears. Just like straight up disappears yeah. and goes and be, is with his father to say like, can we even lean into this place where we're saying like, it's God's presence and it's God's will, God's way that I really want? Because that's yeah. going to force us to slow down and to not make what feels so pressing what's ultimate. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a good point. But this, the climax, of, I guess, of this chapter is you when you wrestle with this um, here, like there's the now and the not yet. Yeah. There's the tension that you feel. Um, and for these, these are for people who, who really are struggling with gender dysphoria. Um, it, the call of that person is a call of all of us. And that is to like take upon the cross. You know what I mean? Like all of us, everyone of us have crosses to bear in this life. Yeah. Like the call of them is to live in the reality mm. as God has called them to live. So they're, they're made a woman. They're called to, to live as a woman, even if they have desires to be a man. And that can put consequences that are big. Like if they're like, are, are not like, we're not neglecting. You know what I mean? That's, con- that can lead to them maybe being celibate their whole life. That can lead, mm-hmm. um, until, and to struggles that will come from that. Um, cause God doesn't instantly promise to take away the struggle. Yeah. Um, but all of us are called to pick up our cross and to bear our cross and we are cross bearers. That's what it means to be a Christian. Mm. And they're called to pick up this cross in the path of obedience. And that, that's really how we live in the now and not yet. And that we look to Christ because Christ is the one who picked up the cross for us, mm. right? Christ, the, our God is the one who came into this world and he was the only one who wasn't tainted, the only one who wasn't sinned. And he w- lived a life of picking up his cross, a life of sacrifice, a life of saying no, and ultimately a life that he would sacrifice himself. He would go to the cross, a pain that he didn't deserve for us. And so now we are called to pick up our crosses for him. Yeah. And this is a cross that some will have to bear. Mm. Yeah. And I think like there is this temptation to say like this cross is too heavy and other crosses aren't as heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's this recognition of like, man, like it's not an easy cross to bear. Yeah, um, totally. It's, it's not a culturally easy cross to bear. Um, but I think where we get wrong, where we go wrong is we measure things by other people's experiences. Um, and this book I think draws this awesome point. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote it. It's on page 60. We are to measure our desires and feelings against the will of God. As the Spirit through the Bible makes us sensitive to those things that grieve Him and helps us to want to live in the ways that please God. Of When we measure everything up against God, we're not looking at each other saying, it's easier for them, it's harder for me. Yeah. We're saying, man, oh man, how fallen am I? And everything needs to be submitted to Him. Yeah, And so that's the encouragement to all believers with whatever you're struggling with is that God has something to say to all of your feelings and all of your desires and they all need to be submitted in entirety to him. And that's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of discipleship with Jesus. But like, please feel convicted that we can't just live passively in sins and then ask other people to like focus on the things that we think are a big deal. Yeah, Everything needs to be submitted to Jesus and he can change anything about us. Yeah. I remember one of my mentors growing up said like, if my joking does not please Jesus, I have to joke differently Mm. of like, I don't just get to have this because it's my personality. If my personality is not like Jesus, my 
aspects of my personality have to go. Yeah. That he can say about whatever he wants within my life because ultimately I'm his. I'm not mine. And so if he's going to say, hey, you just feel fine being sarcastic and snickery to people, and Jesus is like, those words are not seasoned with salt. They're yeah. not gracious to the hearer. Like, you need to address yeah. those things. And I think uh, if any of you are like me, uh, and you are going back to chapter one, if you remember, there was like the the yes and the yuck, or uh, the yay and the yuck um, to the transgender issue. If you were like the, if you were like me, you were in the yuck category by our humble confession. Um, but our our temptation would be to judge these people and to mock them. Um, but we are, if we are not saying our life, if we're not picking up our crosses and our life is not also is not calling them to the same life. Like we are just hypocrites. And so we can't call out transgenderism if we want to have, if we're living a life of premarital sex or adultery or pornography, if we're like living another sexual sin, we can't call out their sexual sin. Mm -hmm. Even though we might be like, oh, it's worse, whatever you want to say, we are are hypocrites. Like we all have crosses to carry. We all have burdens to bear. And I'd say the same thing of like, if you're living into a counterfeit identity, Mm. if you're living in a counterfeit identity that says like, if I'm a good mom, then I'm fine. Yeah. If I am like, like I have a good name in my town, like whatever that counterfeit identity is, all of it, is less than what glorifies Jesus. We can only live as Christ followers and that yeah. be our primary identity. If you're finding any hope, any satisfaction in anything other than Jesus, you also need to like check yourself. And like, I need to check myself. Like I often find my value and validation in the work that I produce. Yeah. And like, it's often very hard for me to be like, what if I couldn't produce this work? Yeah. Would God value me? Yeah. And that's like, that's a very sobering thought for me. And I often have to say like, Jesus, if I could do none of the things that I can do right now, I know that I could still love you and be cared for by yeah. you. And that I would still be honorable to you. That's hard. It's hard to believe. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, um, so looking at chapter six, we're kind of wrapping, we're wrapping this whole conversation saying, okay, now what? Yeah. What does wisdom look like in the midst of this conversation? And I think that's what's important is recognizing that it is not um, descriptive in how we respond, but it is a area in which we have to use wisdom and discernment to the situations we find ourselves. We can't give you a silver bullet of every single situation yeah. you're going to find yourself in because the goal is that we are discipled to think biblically towards people. Yeah. That we're not saying this is what Christians do. They do A, B, C, and D because that's just not true in every context. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of broke it down of how do we think about ourselves as individuals? How do we think about the church? And then how do we think about culture? And so Ben, shoot us off with how we think about individuals. Yeah. Um, just to apply this really practically, we need to, um, be individuals who love individuals. And so when we, obviously there's a lot of different specific situations that he goes through in the last chapter of, Hey, what if this is my child? What if this is my close friend? What if this is not my close friend, but somebody comes and tells me this? Um, I think this needs to be, we need to walk in grace and in truth. And so we need to be love. We need to be lovers of these people. We need to, to see them not as messed. They are messed up people as in we are all messed up people, but they are image bearers of God who are fallen just like you and just like me. Um, and so we need, to, we need to have that worldview in our head, in our eyes, in our heart, as we sit down and have conversations. Um, I really appreciate he, he brings out even just like asking good questions, asking probing questions. How did you, how did you reach this understanding? Like what's, what's this experience been like for you? And as we hear more, 
what those questions will do for us is actually one is they'll help us have compassion. Mm-hmm. They'll let us they'll let us listen back. Like, oh, this isn't just like some crazy person. Like, no, they're seriously wrestling with something. Mm-hmm. And we want to have compassion on them. Um, and so individually, we need to work through it in, in a loving and compassionate way with people when, when we're placed in those situations. Uh, when we see them, we not we are, we are not to look at them as if they are others, mm-hmm. if they're not human. Like we're looking at them in the same way you look at anybody else and to have compassion, to listen, but also to be like have truth and be willing to point them to this message that we've just been talking about for this podcast, that there's a better story. There's a grander story and be willing to be bold and proclaim a better story for their life. Yeah. Yeah. And just praying for, for an open door in years um, of, I think we're going to see in five to 10 years, um, people with maybe some regrets Mm -hmm. um, and that we don't have an, I told you so attitude. Yeah. But we have an attitude that says like, let me bind up your broken, like, let me bind up your wounds. Like, let me walk with you and, like, give you what is actually going to heal. Yeah. Um, because that's, like, the truth is, is, like, all of us come to Jesus. Yeah. All forms of brokenness. And we needed the community to come around us and to speak words of forgiveness and of life and of hope. Yeah. That ultimately, like, it's about it's about our relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And we we need to get our like we need to get our hands dirty with people. Yeah. In terms of like this is all relational ministry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is befriending people, this is spending time with people. This is getting your hands dirty, inviting them into your home, mm-hmm. um, inviting them into your life even. Yeah. And, and just working and loving yeah. and serving. And, th- and that's like this kind of this understanding that they, they need to have. Like yeah. we need to be willing to work with people and to love people yeah. and to like Hey, it takes sacrifices to do that. We can't yeah. just do everything. Yeah. But it takes sacrifice. No, I'm going to sacrifice because this is the gospel. Yeah. And this is what Christ did for us. Yeah. And in the same way that any of you have experienced this reality of discipleship, that when you are walking with someone, you are going to have to get down and dirty and help yeah. them carry their cross. Exactly. Because there's this reality of like, there are going to be moments where they struggle. There are going to be moments, in str- they struggle in ways that we're not used to. And so we think of anyone who's struggled with any sexual sin or, or pornography, there are moments where it's 10 steps forward and one step back. And that we're not beating people over the head when there's a step back. We're walking with them and saying that the same grace that saves is the same grace that sustains. Yeah. And the same grace that keeps them. Yeah. And this, I really appreciate you bringing like, this will be an issue. And I think like, it definitely will be. You know what I mean? Like, obviously this is beyond this book. And I know Pastor Brennan will be touching it in the transgender series. So stay tuned. Yes. Um, but like July 16th. Yeah. But this is like, it is a social contagion. Um, and Abigail Schreier, in her in her book, um, she really points out that this is a phenomenon that's more social than it is biological. Mm-hmm. And so if this is a social contagion, then we should especially see a lot of people coming around later and like really hurt because yeah. they're not actually transgender or yeah. they didn't actually like struggle with this gender dysphoria in the same extreme that they thought they were. Yeah. And obviously that's a, that's a loaded point and... Um, there's a lot more to that. That, but stay tuned for the transgender series as Pastor Brennan takes on the subject. Yeah, and our and our response to them is the same. Yeah, like regardless of their degree of experiencing gender dysphoria and their degree of um, what led them to these decisions, mm-hmm. um, because feeling something on the inside or being told something side doesn't really matter. In that, they're still going to be hurting and searching. Yeah. This real narrative that says that they have value, even if they were sold a lie. Yeah. Even if they were told that this would make them feel better, and ultimately it made them feel so much worse. And remember, they can't outsend the grace of God. They can't outsend the grace, and you can't outsend the grace. Yeah. I can't outsend the grace of God. And for that, like 
I worship, I worship my King, yeah. my King Jesus. Um, and so now thinking about the cross, um, not the cross, sorry. Now thinking about the church, we're always thinking about the cross. <laughs> now thinking about the church, how does the church respond? Yeah, I think that the church has to be a welcoming and loving place. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not trying to be like, yeah, let's just love them and bring them in. Like obviously, but like in a, in a way that we just ignore the issue. But obviously, like, we need to be a loving place where if we want to enter them into our personal lives, into the homes, we also welcome into the church. And so we want to be a place that transgender people or people who struggle with gender dysphoria can find hope, they can find healing. Yeah. And, like, we want to be a solace of that. We want to be a place where that can happen. And that takes, like, every single member of our church, every single person listening to this podcast, being willing to have a mental shift when they see a transgender person, not to run from them, not to say yuck, but to say, hey, like, I want to befriend you. I want to love you. I want yeah. to treat you like any other person. Start with my name is Ruth. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. And so starting like, like a, a way that we need to welcome and we need to humble ourselves and put away our presuppositions at times to befriend. Yeah. Because it starts with the it starts with the presupposition that no one has to clean themselves up before finding themselves in Christ. Yeah. Which is important. And yeah. there is this lie that the culture has about Christians that they just want people who have it together. Yeah. And every Christian looks at them and laughs. And they laugh because they know they've never had it together and they'll never have it together. And I, and Jesus didn't expect me to have it together before knowing him. That yeah. my encounter with Jesus is what change flows out of and nothing previous to that because it's the illumination of the Holy Spirit within my life that says you are a dirty sinner yeah. in need of God's grace. And he's gracious enough to not leave you where you are because ultimately he's better for me. So... Yeah. So if someone comes in, we, we welcome them in this way. And mm-hmm. let's say like this, this whole thing that we've been talking about all these weeks, this whole thing this book's been talking about, but let's say a transgender person like does experience this grace, is convinced and, and that God opens the, their eyes to this yeah. better story. Like how does, how does the church prepare themselves, Ruth, to go on this journey with them? Yeah. I think this start, the church starts by trusting um, that the Holy Spirit is going to convict in the Holy Spirit's timing yeah. of aspects of sin. Meaning like when asked, we'll say, yeah, we do believe that you are going to live as your biological gender, but we're going to navigate what that move towards obedience looks like as like the Holy Spirit leads that. Because yeah. we recognize that like there's obviously more at play here than just like one day you wore a suit and the next day you wear a dress. Um, like there's there's a lot of layers in the midst of that, but it's saying, do we have the patience to walk with someone in the process of discipleship, like we have the patience to walk with someone out of all things, someone coming out of alcoholism, someone coming in in all different things yeah. into the church. What does it look like to say to the person who's sex addicted, hey, how are we moving towards faithfulness? Yeah. What does it look like to find healing and restoration? Because it's not a flip of a switch. It's not, I used to be sex addicted, now I'm not sex addicted, and my whole life has changed, and every change came immediately, and I felt convicted of every single thing that was in my life. It was that, hey, like, you experience conviction and you say yes to Jesus and you keep saying yes to Jesus for the rest of your life yeah. as he continues to bring things up and say, hey, we're now going to deal with this. We're now going to deal with this. We're now going to deal with this. And we're patient to walk with people in the midst of saying, keep asking Jesus to reveal what he wants to make more like you, more like Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And, we, and that, that's longer form things. It's opening up our life, opening up our families. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you made this point recently of like, we're recognizing that there there might be some unique brokenness um, of, hey, this person may choose to be celibate for the rest of their life. Yeah. But like Christians are are designed to live within community. And so what does it look like 
for us to be a welcoming community that says like, you're battling loneliness and like you're battling these things and like this is going to help you choose righteousness. What does it look like for me to partner with you in fighting against this loneliness? Yeah. To say like, you have a room to stay at my house. Yeah. Like you have a seat at my kitchen table. Yeah. And you have people willing to say like, you're my family. Yeah. And like the pain that you feel is the pain I feel because we're family. Yeah. But we bear these burdens together as you're learning to bear your own burdens. We see that, I think in Galatians, right? Mm-hmm. Is it Galatians? I don't remember off the, the top passage. Of There's a passage where it talks about like bearing our own burdens and then bearing each other's burdens of like, yeah. we do both of those things. Yeah. It's, and I think I just go back to like this mental shift that we need to make. Like it's like another mental shift that we need to make of like, this world's not just about me and my family. In terms of like, it's like we have to recognize the church even as a part of like, we are responsible for the church. Like a lot of these like one another's that we see all through the scriptures mm-hmm. is mainly referring to the church. Like the church ought to live in such a way yeah, and in such a community that the watching world will see their love for one another and be drawn to Christ. Yeah. And we like actually apply that. Yeah. And like bring that to this real life. And we can bring that to a situation that... Lord willing, we want to be in. We want to be in a situation where yeah. we have people who are coming out of a gender dysphoria struggle background or a transgender background yeah. who experience the hope of the gospel. Like that's that's why we do what we do. Yeah. That's why we pray. That's why we labor. Yeah. Um, we want to be in a place that we have to be like, how do we disciple them? And that takes yeah. a humbling, that that takes a hard heart of saying no to things to yeah. say yes to people and yes yeah. to Christ. Yeah. I want to see all broken things made right. Yeah. Like I want to get to see the miracle that is broken things being made right. Um, and then last but definitely not least, what's our cultural response in the midst of what's happening? Yeah, I think that the, and I think the cultural response is a worthy fight. The fight mm-hmm. in the, for the culture is a fight that's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, and he, he points this a little bit, like we have a say of power in our, we live in a culture, in a, in a country um, with a democracy where we, we have a say in things, Right. And the closer that our law is to the biblical viewpoints, it's actually better. We believe it's better for society because that's common grace. Yeah. It's common grace for society that children- To value marriage. To value marriage. It's common grace for society for children to not do sex change. Yeah. Like when they're minors. Well, for parents to have rights over their children. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's, these are common graces that we would find as biblical viewpoints that we've applied- um, and so it's a worthy fight, but we can't expect as a church, we can't expect the culture to always fall to what we want it to do. Mm-hmm. Like th- it's possible that this can get worse yeah. and that the, the, you can say the conservative push or the Christian push, like whatever it is to try to push back this, that we cannot win. And like, we can't expect the culture to always follow the church and that, and we we're coming in a culture of America with our own history that this is the first time this is happening mm. where that the church is really becoming the minority and the church's viewpoints is now being the one that's oppressed. Mm. And so with that, we, it's a worthy fight, but we can't expect it to win. Yeah. But we do what we do, what we are responsible for is to create communities and disciple people to live holy lives and to live lives of deep discipleship and lives fully devoted to Christ um, within a cultural context that may be a little crazy. Yeah. And I think navigating kind of the culture and the politics of it, mm-hmm. it's that no one would be able to say, like, they're just as nasty as the rest of us in the way yeah. they fight in the cultural war. Exactly. They should not say that we're slandering. They yeah. should not say we that live we're our like, biblical principles. yeah, we live our biblical principles and they can disagree with what we think, but yeah. we, we pray that they don't disagree with the way we live towards them. Yeah. Because I think there, there definitely is Christian nationalism. There's definitely this like reality of like, oh man, like God and country are the same thing of like, ultimately like my Christian values are far 
yeah. greater than like my values as a conservative American, if that's yeah. where I find myself. Um, and just saying that like Jesus is supreme and Jesus makes me think about my culture differently. Yeah. Like just to, just to push, push that a little bit. Cause I think it's worth us as we, we think about these things of like Christian nationalism for those that don't know that you can, you can Google it. It's a, it's a huge movement now, um, especially going around with Christianity today, especially as the culture is running further away. This is a, a response of like associating, I think too much the country with culture. Um, but as the, like, our country holds, like there's a separation between church and between state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say like, that's a biblical worldview. Like we actually, we, we want to uphold that. Us saying that something is wrong in the state because of a church's perspective, we are allowed to do that. Yeah. Separation between churches and state does not, it means that, doesn't mean that we don't associate the two. It doesn't mean that the one isn't speaking to the other. Yeah. It just means that the power is not held. Yeah. And let me just like, for those who are struggling, like we, the reason why we separate church and state, why we see that in the Bible is because you do not want the state upholding the church's power mm-hmm. and you do not want the church having to uphold the state's power. Yeah. And so you've seen this like all through, if you look through the history and like what um, like Western Europe used to be when it was ruled mm-hmm. by Christian kings, like the church is actually holds like a power, right? The church holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If you look at Matthew 18, the last thing you want is the state holding the keys, mm-hmm. right? The church has this power within the church. You don't want the state. And the, the, the state, by the, the biblical worldview, the state holds the sword. Mm-hmm. And you do not want the church holding the sword. Mm-hmm. Like the, this separation is actually really good. Yeah. But we can't, people be like, people be, might go out there and say that the separation between the two means that you can't speak one into the other. Yeah. Which is a lie. Yeah. And it's a reality that as an American, we have a right to vote. Like we have rights to vote. And what does it look like to use our rights to glorify Jesus in all things? Yeah. It's just saying like, I have responsibilities because of the rights that I have as an yeah. American. And so I'm going to use those rights in a way that's affected by my Christianity. Yeah. In everything that I do. The way I'm a neighbor is affected by my Christianity. The way I go to the to school is affected by the way that like I'm a Christian. And so everything should be affected because you're a Jesus follower. And I think that's really important. Um, And so as we wrap up this conversation, my encouragement is that as you listen to this, you'd be convicted of your own sin and hold tight to Jesus and his grace. And as you see a world that is struggling, that you'd recognize that the same thing that saved you can save them. Um, Because ultimately, Jesus is the ultimate rescuer of all people from all times and all history. Um, And so my brother, Ben, is going to pray us out. And if he has any final thoughts. Yeah. Praise God that he is a God who saves sinners, which we all are. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, Please join us wherever you're at. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and merciful God. We thank you, God, that you have sought us out, O oh Father God, that you've sought us while we were yet sinners, God. And we praise you for that, God. We, we thank you that there is hope amidst everything. Amid everything, there is hope because of Christ. Lord, we pray, O oh Father God, that we would be a church, um, that we would be a people that would love others as Christ has first loved us, that we would love those who struggle with gender dysphoria, that we would be lovers and also standards of truth through this issue, God. Lord, we thank you that our bodies were made in your image, O oh God. Lord, we thank you that you have a design for us, Lord. May we live into such design. Lord, as there may be crosses that we need to bear, will you give us the faith and the grace and the strength to do so? May it all be for your glory and your honor and your praise all the days of our life. Let us have an eternal perspective. In Christ's name, amen.
Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, next week, you can join us for an episode. We'll be talking about everything that's going to be happening within the transgender series and what we can be preparing ourselves for. We are so grateful for you and your ears and your time. Uh, we pray that Jesus blesses you as you go uh, into that we would always be learning and then living out the things that we're learning. Um, we want to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Amen. Amen.